0: Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 529 on Tuesday, the 13th of June, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello,
1: I'm Andrew. And as we enter week two of the stones being thrown by those in glass houses, we'll be holding our breath over one court case. New New Car News has a searching hard for the downside of one car. And the and finally tells us just how quick one dog breed surprisingly is. But first, we have just one tiny smidgeny bit of follow-up, and it's to do with the ULES of London. There's been court action by five councils that were started in February to prevent the expansion happening at the end of August, where it's going to go basically all the way up to the inside of the M25. In April, only two of the five points that were raised and that this court case was based on were accepted and three were refused but on Friday the 26th of May the five councils, which is Bexley, Bromley, Hillingdon and Harrow, London along with Surrey County Council, they uh, got two more grounds reinstated. The two additional grounds for the challenge, which were just accepted, are the unfair and unlawful consultation in relation to expected compliance rates in outer London and, about the Scrappage Scheme, Irrationality due to uncertainty and inadequate consultation. Yeah. This goes uh, up for review on the 4th of July, and it could well mean that the uh, expansion is delayed or even possibly cancelled, depending on the court ruling.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Spokesman for the mayor said, you're killing people, you're killing people, people are dying, you're killing people, you're bad people. Or words to that effect. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but not as much as you probably think I am. Anyway. Yes, no mow may. Well done, because I couldn't say that before. Yes, I've taken a sip of coffee and a run-up. People are saying that no mow may has made UK roads more dangerous. The first question, obviously, on your your lips is, what on earth is no mow may? Well, it turns out that uh, many councils around the UK decided that uh, in the interest of nature and conservancy and the environment, they were going to not mow the verges of roads and roundabouts and things during the month of May. I'm sure it has absolutely nothing to do with saving an entire month's worth of petrol.
1: <laughs> that was just a lucky coincidence, Alan. Come on, you cynical, you
0: cynical man. Other grass-cutting fuels are available. The challenge here really is is that, of course, uh, the grass getting very long beside the edge of the road cuts down in the, the sight lines, can make it hard to see out of junctions or see vehicles coming out of junctions. And that has a a road safety impact. Because, of course, whenever you uh, design roads and you actually plan roads, then you design them with certain sight lines in mind, depending on the the speed limits.
1: Yeah, it's baked in the legislation and the rules.
0: It is absolutely baked. So by doing this, then what you find is that, obviously, you cut down on those sight lines. The same speed limits remain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, what the logical thing for a council to do then is to come along and say, well, in the month of May, we're going to drop the speed limit, which is the kind of logical, sensible thing you would expect um, a council uh, in the UK to do. Now, there are a couple of ways around this. I know that in, in Corby, they, they've done this for quite a while, not so much no mow May, but they, they got certain areas and they planted them with wildflowers, putting a little, little sign saying, look, we're not cutting this all summer. Mm. Uh, but what they would do on roundabouts like that is they would cut about a meter into it so that the sight lines weren't reduced.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: and so that it was was still safe, and they'd do that on verges that were that were similar. They would leave much of the verge, but they would still cut the first, essentially the first paths pass with a mower. So it's probably four feet, yeah, as kind of standard mower width, just to do that.
1: We've got something similar here, um, but the mm-hmm. the problem I've got with it is there doesn't seem to be any consistency. Yes, some are cut and some are not, and you look at them and you think, but that one's trickier than the one you've cut, etc. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe there is a plan, maybe, uh, he says hoping, maybe there is a uh, calculation that means these will be cut and these won't.
0: What's interesting is that a chap called Mark Schofield, the road verges advisor at Plant Life, says that a nomo strategy alone is not actually what his organization is advocating. They are suggesting you can mow less, but they also suggest how you can manage the mowing of collecting the clippings, etc., to actually re- reduce the fertility of the soil near the roads, meaning the grass doesn't grow as long, so you don't have this cutting down of sight lines issue, and also requires less cutting at the same time. And he even says, I'm a motorist too, said Schofield. Road safety is key and verge management must reflect this. Tall plants can constitute a hazard for people adjusting their speed to join lanes, pull out junctions or do negotiate corners. The verge must be seen as an extension of the surface carriageway and managed to optimise safety. That doesn't mean our verges can't play their part at a national scale in helping nature's recovery, which I can't disagree with any of that whatsoever. Eminently sensible in every exactly. way. It's, and I think it is a sensible idea. I think it's a good idea, actually. Yeah. But it's the implementation that's, that's the challenge. I think some places get a bit lazy and go, yeah, no mermaid means we just don't, don't have to mow without actually reading past whatever the headline of the idea was.
1: Well, we've been in enough companies that do that. So.
0: Oh, yes. Moving
1: on. And this is the news that the Center for Policy Studies, a think tank, um, you know, in inverted commas. Oh, going I want to work
0: for a think tank. It sounds like he's stating the bleeding obvious I'll be an analyst for a think tank.
1: Well, yeah, but also you can just make stuff up and say, oh, this is just a thought, a white report. But they're they're not making this bit up. They're talking about how the government can reclaim the, uh, again, inverted commas, lost revenue thanks to EVs because at the minute they don't pay or they're only going to pay a small fee moving forward on vehicle excise duty. And they are dropping back on what is anyone who's been paying this any attention at all will realise going to happen and it's pay per mile. Uh, They talk about also uh, three ways they see that the understanding of what mileage the vehicle does can be uh, either you submit your own mileage, and of course that will never be accepted, an onboard device that transmits mileage automatically, Mm -hmm. or GPS tracking. You can imagine my thoughts on all of that. They also go on to talk about, though, is that everybody, so that EVs are not paying the same as or more than an internal combustion engine vehicle or a hybrid, is that they should be allocated a certain amount of free mileage per annum. And that will also be tied into whereabouts you live. So if you live out in the wilds, you obviously Mm -hmm. have to travel much further to get anywhere, Yes. as opposed to you live in a town where ideally they want us to walk, cycle, catch a bus, that sort of thing. Hop, skip, e-scooter. exactly. It would encourage us to use the alternative form of transport. Mm -hmm. I think that side of things is very sensible and I think that needs to happen. I particularly think for anybody who lives in the countryside, they need to be treated differently from those who live in urban areas, certainly.
0: Well, it's not an urban area, is it? It is just different. As someone who's lived in both, Mm. it's it's completely sensible. I mean, the thing is that road, you know, pay as you go, road charging is not unusual i mean we have we had that uh bbc archive video in and finally a few weeks ago yeah. uh, from 1970 when and they were talking about that then they were already thinking about how are we going to do you know it was self-driving cars and trying out channel tunnel loading techniques and and also peers you go how they could actually rack up mileage i mean you suggested that earlier on we were chatting about this and you suggested Well, maybe it gets recorded at MOT time. And I pointed out that, well, some of us, some years do thousands of miles abroad and pay for them. Mm. That ain't going to work unless... I mean, to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if at the border they got people to start not just checking your passports, but checking the myelometer on your car. That really would just be... Actually, I could believe that they would do something that stupid. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I can actually. (laughs) Shall we move on before I just melt into a puddle of despair? Why don't you take us to some remanufacturing? the future of cars could be old cars we talk about this kind of thing a few times we've talked about uh, renault and their remanufactory at flan and uh, near paris uh, we've talked about the company near silverstone who are essentially remanufacturing um, trucks as evs and uh, stellantis have uh, put a foot into that bucket as well uh, they're saying a couple of things first of which is that we should keep cars for fifteen years to help cut CO two, which is fair enough advice. Keeping the car for longer. Yep. Uh, and not just throwing them away every three years. or well, throwing them away. I say that as if at three years a car stops working. I mean it's 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 yeah, in mean, some manufacturers so that's pretty much the case. But absolutely a fifteen year old car is still a perfectly good car in most cases and most places. Uh, certainly in the UK in our temperate maritime climate of not that aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, not that much aggressiveness that makes sense. There's a lot of that kind of thing. There was a video Johnny Smith had a video recently about scrap cars and companies that that work their way through and and deproduce them. There we go. There's an auto car article as well. And actually sort of take up you know, when a, a, a car ready ready for the scrapper comes in, then they can actually sort of start harvesting the useful parts straight away. And those of us who run old cars relatively recently will know that actually it's quite hard to buy good used parts from within the uk you tend to have to import them from uh, lithuania and latvia isn't it definitely on the baltic states i know that that's a, a great source of of lots of parts particularly for german cars yeah uh, not even just german cars to be honest Oh, i suppose it was a german car sorry i was thinking about the <laughs> power steering pump in johnny the Aris is actually from a mercedes a-class but what this
1: also will do if cars are going to if the idea is and this gets adopted across the industry or it is legislated in. Look, your cars need to be able to, or we we can make cars last now 15 years really properly mm. because we use the refurbished parts from ones that have reached end of life and stuff like that. Then it means that uh, manufacturers have to up their game when it comes to software. And those that are balking at 10 years for mm. a vehicle's lifetime, well... Buckle up, because there's another five, and we've seen how quickly innovation changes. I mean, I can understand, to a certain degree, why they do get twitchy about it, because in the last 10 years, how just consumer technology has moved on, mm. and the sort of software involved. For something as complex as a car, yeah, with all the various systems involved, it's not easy, but then again, you guys decided to do this, so...
0: There's a change in thought as well. If you're now starting to think about, well, 15-year lifespan, then you start to make it so that hopefully it's easier to mm-hmm. update and patch software and, and that kind of thing. Whereas that's the, the problem before, is people going, well, it's the software. We're, out, we're rolling out, this is the software, this is how the entertainment system works. Maybe it interfaces with some other stuff, but that's it. That's the software. We don't really expect to ever have to update this software. Yeah, that's not realistic anymore. Companies themselves are sort of going, we're going to be software-driven. Yeah. An application is for life, not just for Christmas. So depressing when I see that. You've got to actually maintain it, make sure it's hosted properly, all the other things that I talk about as part of my day job.
1: Yeah. This week's uh, article that gets me onto the ledge of fury, uh, Mercedes-Benz were very, very vocal about how that they have got level three approval in California, where their car that is fitted with the drive pilot system, as they call it, will allow you to take your hands off the steering wheel, your eyes off the road, and you be able to do other things in the cabin as long as your face is visible to the in-car monitoring system while the car is in heavy traffic and driving up to 40 miles per hour.
0: Play Tetris. That's the example.
1: Well, I think that's because they're selling it in their app store. Yes. Yes, but... uh, Okay. Okay. So this feels like we're having a series now because this is the third week we're talking about this sort of thing. It's an automated driver system that talks about how the car is going to do X, Y, and Z, yet the human still has their own commitment that they have to agree to no matter what, even if those commitments have been shown in research, well-documented, that the humans can't manage. Mm. So we're going to have here that you're able to drive along without looking at the road, without your hands on the steering wheel, doing something else, and then it's going to give you, and the only figure I can find after spending quite a lot of time trying to find this information, thank you Mercedes, well done, clear info, 10 seconds from the first alert saying, please take over again, to it going again, take over, and if the human then hasn't taken over, it taking avoiding action of whatever the incident is. 10 seconds from watching a film, playing Tetris, to grabbing the wheel and understanding what you're doing.
0: But I was about to drop that long four piece. That would <laughs> yes. have got me the whole four and the bonus. Quite, I would have won the level. Hmm. But now I have to slot this car through some other thing. <laughs> yes, now I have to slot this car around, rolling through. Because it, what has been
1: well documented is when you are suddenly yanked out of one focus, you overcompensate. And it's been shown in studies time and time again that if someone is not looking at the road, not doesn't have their hands on the wheels, and the car suddenly goes, quick, take over, the people
0: brake too hard, yank the steering wheel, all these other things that come into play. Well, you know it yourself. This happens anyway, where you're driving along, or you're the passenger, and you notice something, you go, oh! And then the driver will overcompensate, or hit the brakes a bit hard, or pull a bit too far one way or the other. Mm. It's not the same as if you've just noticed it yourself. And it's exactly that same effect. Yeah. From that point of view, and and we need to realise that even
1: the most optimistic of fully autonomous vehicle companies have all said, not touching level three with a barge pole. Yeah. It is far too dangerous, far too much liability.
0: But the thing with Mercedes, though, is originally in March 2022, and there's a link to another article which is uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Everybody's Dullest Social Network, that uh, Mercedes-Benz said that they would accept liability for their Level 3 automated driving system. If uh, uh, an accident happens when you're in whatever Level 3 mode is, has, has a fancy name, then they will take responsibility because obviously it's their software. Uh, that seems to have been dialed back. I think dialed back is a polite way of putting it. <laughs> So originally that was a direct answer to a direct question. Uh, Now direct questions are getting very indirect answers about, well, existing legislation covers that kind of thing and existing liability does this. To,
1: we will let the courts make the decision, which i.e. means you as the driver better have a bigger and better legal team than Mercedes-Benz
0: USA. Which is generally unlikely. Yes. Do be careful about that. As I say, that second article, Piece by Philip Koopman uh, on LinkedIn is really very interesting and rather good, and worth an extra couple of minutes. Just as, as some some other background reading with a slightly different but very realistic uh, opinion. And there
1: is a third article uh, linked to in the show notes under the headline that is by the Autopian, which explains why Level Three and by association Level Two are dreadful ideas and how they are inherently flawed in how they've been set up. But it, it goes into detail of of why. What is expected under these levels of the human is not a good thing.
0: There's lots. There's actually lots of good reading there from a number of different angles and, and just explaining it in human words as well.
1: Yeah, rather than my rage. Alan, do you want to take us to possibly some of the fanciest and most wonderful seats?
0: I think some of you will, will know all about these because you'll have been, possibly more so on this side of the Atlantic, you'll have been following... Some of the writing about the new Toyota Tacoma. So the Toyota Tacoma is a what? Here is a midsize pickup. I think your sort of Ford Maverick is is a compact pickup, and then you've got Ford Ranger size. Tacoma is quite a big range is like a bigger slightly bigger Ranger and then of course you've got all the ones that everybody thinks about with their Chevy Silverados and their Toyota Tundras and all the the big ones.
1: The ones you need the stepladders to get into.
0: Yeah Yeah, although some versions some of the off-road versions of the Tacoma pretty much getting there as well. It sells incredibly well here in North America Uh, it's very popular it's more popular in a personal capacity rather than a commercial capacity although there are commercial versions as well but one of the more popular trim specs is the trd pro off-road um which gets you and you have to say it like that it's the law yes uh, and it gets you slightly jacked up suspension four wheel drive really nice wheels with chunky tires and a sort of slightly uh pro comp style look so it looks a bit like those sort of competition trucks that you see bouncing over things it's kind of the equivalent apart from the fact that the engine output's the same it's kind of the equivalent of the sort of raptor spec Mm. which can be used off-road without you having to actually jump over jumps and and things like that so obviously it comes with dialed up uh, suspension what it now comes with is i think they're an option but they are suspended seats they're a little bit like an exaggerated version of the seats that you get in trucks and tractors and things where they are suspended and they are part of the suspension system to keep you nice and comfortable. Now, they're not intended to rock around in the same way as the truck and tractor seats. They're intended to be significantly more subtle so that you don't necessarily notice that they're doing all their work and sort of isolating you from some of the bumps and jolts when you're off-road. That means that it's safer, it's better for you, it's... it's um, It's it's just all-round gooder.
1: The isodynamic performance seat, to give it its full snappy title.
0: Yeah, so they've got air over oil shock absorbers built in and sort of visible from the back. You can change the level of damping you get, and road mode means that they're fixed normally properly in them. they look really cool. It's like some kind of exoskeleton on the back of the seat. I've no idea what it does to rear seat legroom, but I don't care.
1: No, I'd still sit in there and watch them.
0: I'd still sit there and watch them, and it looks really, really awesome. They are super clever. People say that they work really well and they're not a gimmick. Cool. Because you try, try one, try the course with them on, try the course with them off, and you can tell the real difference without having to, you know, without having to sort of join the tread shuffle brigade or something it makes a real difference to the level of comfort and security that you feel when you're doing it without encouraging you to drive like a nutter. A really cool Design News article goes into quite a lot of detail. Go have a read of it. Yeah, love that.
1: Sorry for the lack of uh, posterior modelling pictures in this week's seat article.
0: There are other films of them in use and stuff uh, in that Design News article, uh, but there are no heat or pressure maps of anyone's butt.
1: I think we've managed to traverse the first part of the show, Han.
0: We have. It brings us to Giltman, a quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that Motoring Podcast is worth small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. you've done all that and some of you do so thanks very much then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues
1: thank you everybody who does new new car news and unless you lived under a rock you will know that volvo has brought out their smallest suv the ex30 it's also their fastest vehicle to date and their most eco-conscious as top gear tell us in the headline for the article that is linked here We were teased, weren't we, for several weeks about how their small yet exciting SUV was coming. And to be fair to them, I think Volvo have delivered a cracking-looking little SUV. You would tell immediately it's a Volvo, Mm -hmm. very much in the design language. But it has, uh, as it even says in this article, it has some hints of A2, Audi A2, about the front end particularly. Uh, And that's not a bad thing.
0: Do, Do you know what it reminds me of? And it's something else that's Swedish. And forgive me, there's a little bit of thingy blowing here. Is it the meatballs in the IKEA freezer? No, no, no. When I had a proper job, I was involved in designing those Torque paper dispensers, the ones where they've got, they're white at the top, there's a kind of see-through bit further down, and the same thing is used for paper and for soap and all sorts of stuff. I swear I'm getting to the point here. (laughs) And they look fine at the big size, but we also did a little baby one as part of the modeling whenever we did it a little baby soap one which is tiny it's only like four inches tall and they didn't actually make it and what's cute is it's it's the same as the bigger ones which just look nice but it's really really cute because it's a little tiny baby one and that's what's happened here it's like they've got the ex-90 and they've got the various cx's in between and then they've done a little tiny cute baby one just to see what it would look like and gone Oh, we like that. (laughs) And it's got that same sort of innocence and and sort of, oh, you pick it up and take it away, even though it's only a soap dispenser or a small electric SUV. Yeah. That was a weird waffle, sorry.
1: (laughs) Well, getting to the stats about this, the entry-level version comes with a single motor, which is 51 kilowatts per hour, a nickel manganese cobalt battery, apparently, which keeps the car price cheaper because the battery is cheaper to make, which gives you a range of about two hundred and thirteen miles. But if you need more range, you can and you go to the mid and top spec. You get a dual motor cars with sixty-four kilowatt lithium-ion batteries that can take a, the battery range up to just under three hundred miles. You can rapidly charge them, so you'll be able to do from ten to eighty percent in less than half an hour. And the, this is the bit that I'm still actually stunned with mm. the entry spec, which is called Core. Comes in at about thirty-two thousand pound.
0: So you remember last week we talked about the electric Vauxhall Astra. Yes, it comes in at about thirty-two thousand pounds.
1: No, thirty-nine thousand. Was it
0: thirty-nine? Yeah. Oh wow, it's just that's under four k thought. for an
1: electric Astra.
0: Yeah. Mm, gosh, that's a tricky choice, isn't it?
1: It gets even better if you go for mid-range, the uh, plus spec. That's just under thirty-four grand. Yeah. And these are. This is going to be part of their. Um, Subscription service as well. So you'll be able to get them through that, which by all accounts, they've done reasonably well with and has been popular with people. Oh, that's good. Uh, which I can imagine it is because it does look a very slick and simple way. So then uh, if you look at, okay, so we've just looked at <laughs> like an, an Astra. Look at the Merck for an EQA. They want 52 grand. Mm-hmm. And the BMW iX1 is 53 grand.
0: Where are they building them? You know, we've been saying about the of stealth. Chinese EVs going in. So that's where this is going to be built. Yeah, but the
1: BMW is as well, and the Merc is. Ah. But they're not owned by Geely. Um, however, no. what they have done, which is really clever as well, and they did make a lot of noise about this, to be fair to them, it deserves it. They've been very clever with the recycled um, components. There's a link hmm. in the show notes as well as to this Top Gear article to a B-Comp because some of their materials have been used on the surface of the dashboard and the doors and the inner panels and talking of the doors they've moved things like the switches and the speakers off the doors hmm. and the speakers are now on the top of the dashboard and the switches are in the center console area so therefore the doors are cheaper to make because they don't have to plug so many electronics yeah. through and wires etc cetera, etc cetera. just clever thinking it through from the ground up
0: and that's a classic move in much much cheaper city cars so the Citroen C1 the Peugeot 107 the T- T- iGo they all had similar tweaks to that but here we're seeing it not just in something with lots of exposed painted metal inside yeah we're seeing it in something more grown up more more of a luxury cover to it but just this is smart thing to do because it keeps costs down and has very little impact on you the the customer yeah
1: What we need to work out yet, uh, and we won't know that until we get them on the road, is if their motors have improved in efficiency. Hopefully they have, because they've had time to work on them. I am really struggling to see a downside with this car. We were talking before, there's only two things I can really think of as possible downsides, and it depends on your preferences really here, uh, Mm. and your situation. Uh, Efficiency of the motors, but if you have your own home charger, that removes a a lot of the worry about that. And if you don't like Google to a really big extent where you don't even want it in your car at all, even though this has got CarPlay and Android Auto as mirroring, if you've got Android Auto, then you probably don't care about Google. But if you are vehemently against Google, a lot of the subsystem is Google-driven for their Mm -hmm. infotainment, the menu, and all that sort of stuff. That's it. I'm. I can't see anything else really.
0: Also you get a quartic steering wheel so you can live out all your allegro fantasies. <laughs> yeah. And after the first 2 minutes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's good. Cool. Am I I, really am I wrong? Like I mean it. can can you no. can you spot
0: what, what a down I commented that um, on on Twitter whenever it came out. So like, I'm really struggling to see the downside in this. and It, it was a tweet that got quite a fair bit of traction, quite a lot of people going no, yep. Yeah, I'm liking the tweet. It's it's it was alarmingly Little downside,
1: oh, and the color palette fabulous, by the way, go and have a look at the color palette,
0: please, somebody choose nice colors because
1: unfortunately the the top gear picture is just the you know undercoat gray, uh, mm-hmm. but the the color palette that you can select from is is really lovely, right, Alan, take us to it
0: our... okay, so uh well, possibly yes, uh so cheery is going to bring its i can't bring it it's new a j q seven please change the name, please. It sounds like some kind of off-brand cool box from Amazon.
1: Oh, well, what about their their other model then? Are you complaining oh, uh, about They're names? also
0: going to the Omoda C5 crossover. Uh, so they're going to bring a couple of models to the UK. Uh, they're in talks with over 100 dealers to do that, and they're planning to have 40 to 50 on board by the time they launch next February. Uh, the Omoda C5, which is a... It's almost starting to look like a coupe suv but isn't and it's kind of challenging the press picture is aesthetically challenging there's lots to take in there is a lot to it it's got a sort of clamshell bonnet and upper headlamps sort of like an evoke it's got a grill like a tucson it's got a rear haunch like a nissan leaf uh, and then so sort of some form of ai has filled in the gaps in between with the requisite number of door handles and wheel spokes it's a bit odd. I don't know how many of those will actually hit the road.
1: Well, you say that. They reckon it's going to be less than 25 grand for the petrol version of that. Uh, so it's it's about cashkai size as well. So that's going to undercut a lot. It's very similar to the model, the, the business model of MG, where they come in and yes. they, they are not known, but they will undercut on price, and you will always have people who are just
0: about the price. I hear you. But with that market as well, the MG is has never been challenging to look at. It has been a bit dull.
1: No, no, I get the yeah
0: in times and and that with that marketplace with that buyer profile, that's just fine. A bit conservative. If you're giving that argument and saying, well, if it's challenging looking, it'll be fine. Then why was Sam Samsung not a huge success then? Because it's the same approach as Young. It's just a bit of it's had a fair old whack with an ugly stick. Despite being cheap, it's still not sold. Now, the JQ7, on the other hand, which is uh, Hyundai Tucson size, it's a far more squared off, far more, um, according to the Alticar article, it's Tucson size. I can see the frowning. It looks Tucson, so it looks really wide here and flat. But if you look at the length of it in the admittedly either highly doctored or a rendering, then it then it it doesn't look like it's got a lot behind the 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 back seats. So I don't know that it is actually a seven seater. Doesn't actually say in here, does it? Tucson's not a seven seater. No, I know, but neither is Jeku. right? So either we be we get it wrong, or we're being misled by Autocar. We'll let you decide. But it's really quite handsome, whatever the heck size is.
1: Yes, this one is far less challenging when it comes to the aesthetics. And it looks like an adult did this one, whereas the kids were let loose with
0: a crayon with the Omado. Totally. This is far more in the sort of uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee mo- mold mm. of looks uh, with sort of more teeth in the grill, because of course, they can't have seven segments in the grill, otherwise, there'll be all sorts of trouble. But it's far more in that, uh, so it's kind of smooth-sided, black roof and upper body. It's quite a handsome thing, and if that's undercutting stuff on price, and it looks like that, then that I can see being successful. Yes. And it's well screwed together as well. Yeah,
1: that'll be a key thing. It will boil down to the, does it drive...
0: At all competently and does the software not completely fall over? Someone in the auto car comments says I get paid more than two hundred to four hundred dollars per hour for working on Oh no, hang on. Um but no, uh did people are commenting it's interesting that they're setting up the sales network and stuff first. So yeah. that's a good good start and good good sign. Yes. I think one of the interesting things about some of these Chinese ones, sorry, sudden thought at the end, is that it's the companies themselves who are setting up the importers in the country rather than it being another Company adding it as a brand they import, which has happened in the past, and it means that they've got far more control generally, uh, and that well may well help the ability to focus. Shall we say the ability oh. to focus and 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 do it right? Really,
1: I'm going to take us to Italy and the Fiat Topolino, which is a rebadged Citroen Ami. However, it makes perfect sense, and the picture that's on the Autocar article looks absolutely lovely and perfectly Fiat. And a small little tiny Fiat. I'm surprised it's taken so long, Mm. to be honest. I presume this is the Amalfi Coast that the picture is taken in, and it looks like it would fit right in there.
0: I don't see why people, why rich people won't be buying these for their beach houses. Yeah. It's wonderful. It just, and it just suits it as well. It just suits it. The little stubby front, the little stubby rear, and the the royal color and and all that. Yeah. I'm sure that's got all the options, but I love it. It's great. I'm, this is very cool.
1: Right, we need to move on now to what I think is uh, talking of uh, part-time vehicles. This one is perfectly up Allen's
0: Road, or off-road. I know that this is really my term. I'm going to let you introduce this, because I don't think I can see the correct website for this, because I'm getting taken to the Polaris USA site, and cool those these are.
1: Okay, this is the Polaris Off-Road Vehicle. Uh, And this is where you can get the Expedition, the RZR, the General, or the Ranger. Now, I am suggesting that the Polaris Expedition without an E is the perfect vehicle for... Well, I want one, but I mean, I think it's perfect for Alan.
0: Yes. Anyone who's watched Matt's off-road recovery and stuff will know all about what happens with Polaris Razors and all these kind of things. Uh, Generally, people flip them over or stand them on their nose or snap drive shafts, or lower wishbones.
1: There is a video on the website that talks specifically about how to drive a Polaris safely. So I presume yes. that they've had issues in the past.
0: There do seem to be. These are very cool. So I saw I was in New Hampshire at the weekend, and just after I passed the Subaru dealer, which was about twice the size of your average Ford dealer in the UK, try and figure that one in your head, folks. Mm-hmm. There was a Polaris dealer right afterwards and they had literally tens of these things sitting outside. Just about every house that you passed had some form of some form of razor or equivalent parked outside as well as their pickup truck and their Subaru. And <laughs> such is New England. And they are very, very cool. They are they are excellent. I I love the idea of these. The idea of one which is sort of pretty much enclosed. I do wonder if it's got air conditioning and stuff. Over here, it starts at uh, $29,999, to which you would need to add the appropriate sales tax for your state, plus whatever other things dealers decide to add, because it's the USA and nothing's ever the price that they list. Uh, but this has a JBL trail system. It's got everything. It is pretty much a car. If you can register for a road, you're, you're on your way.
1: Yeah. And uh, if you would like to lose a little bit of time, just
0: click through on the accessories and start adding accessories to your own Polaris. W- wait a minute here. This this little one, so the two door one, is a one litre, one litre liquid cooled petrol engine, twin cylinder, putting out 114 horsepower.
1: I thought the Americans couldn't do. Small engines with large amounts of horsepower.
0: Okay, as long as it's not in the car, <laughs> they get twitchy. Very cool. Anyway, right, I shall stop. It's very cool.
1: Enjoy that one after the show, Alan. It is ace. I, I, I want one. I really, Sadly, really. Sadly,
0: I have to hop in the car and drive to the office, but yeah. I want
1: one, and I also want enough land where that, that would actually make sense for me to have one.
0: Yeah, you need that. Or you can take it to public areas yeah. uh, here in the US. So, mm. See, also, if you like that kind of stuff, I say Matt's off-road recovery and things often dragging them out of sand dunes. Porsche Mission X, Andrew. Yes, this is the
1: electric successor to the 918 Spider, which finished production in 2015. I can't believe it's 2015 that that finished production. Mm. Amazing. But is now good. this is going to be basically the halo vehicle of the Porsche range and showing off all the wonderful and futuristic technology that they will be bringing to the rest of their range. There is the idea that it will offer around uh, 1,500 brake horsepower, which that seems sensible. And they want it to be the fastest road legal car on the Nordschleife. Of course they do, because that all makes a lot of sense. But it makes for great videos that we can all watch on YouTube, so why not? And... Apart from the nose, I'm struggling to see too much portionness in it.
0: You see, whereas my take is slightly different regarding the aesthetics in that I look at it and go, oh, that's much more like some of the uh, Le Mans prototype cars. I can see the the cabin is, the, the bubble cabin. Yeah, it's much more like a 917 or in its various successes, the numbers of which I forget right now. I'm sorry. Uh, if I was in the UK, I'd be able to look at my poster. Um, with the sort of bubble cabin, with that going that stream back, with the sort of the 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 rear strip across the uh, of lights across the back, a sort of heck blend type setup. So I think the more you look at it, the more Porsche it actually is. Although your initial take is like, "Whoa, that doesn't look like a 911." Mm. <laughs> and actually, the more I look at it, the more I like it. But what a, I mean, it's it's sort of. Fifteen hundred horsepower. It's market competitive, isn't it?
1: <laughs> but I, I think if you look at it through the same lens that we looked at the Range Rover Sport uh, SV, mm. mm-hmm. that it's how relevant it is. Questionable, but I'm very glad someone's doing it, particularly in the economic outlook of the moment, and. Um, particularly because they're trying to push the boundaries when it comes to what EVs do. Mm. There's obviously no discussion of range or anything like that, um, and all that sort of stuff, because it's it's just a, a concept at the moment.
0: Yeah, but uh, I, I'm delighted that they they've gone for it, and they have to because they have to show off what's coming next and what they can do, and and it's only by doing this that it then becomes it, it then it then filters down. It's very cool. Very yeah. cool. Do you want to take us to old car dead news? Yes, old car dead news this week comes from, comes from Volvo. Uh, Volvo is discontinuing a number of models in the UK, specifically uh, cross-country uh, models and also the S90 saloon. So the V60 cross-country and the V90 uh, cross-country are only going to be available from stock until the stock runs out uh, mm. at the moment. Boo. Uh, similarly, the S90 saloon, Boo. which was lovely. Oh, it was lovely. It was lovely. And the Volvo XC40 Recharge FEV. Right. Okay. Okay. So, I'm not really that fast. I think possibly because the electric version is doing all the selling there. You either buy the petrol or the electric, but not the one that's halfway in between. They're citing reductions in sales volumes and its electrification program as reasons for their retirement. Uh, V90 and V60 estates uh, will continue. The, there's no plans to phase those out. I mean, the Volvo do this sometimes. They introduce models and then nobody buys them. Uh, the winner being the Volvo S60 cross country, uh, which in, one, in its first year on the market, uh, there were just 34 sold. Uh, so it sort of quietly disappeared after that. But if you do have one of those, High likelihood of it becoming becoming a sought-after collector vehicle in the future. Oh, well done for that choice.
1: But it would be interesting to see if cross-country type jacked-up estates come back in fashion as the ire and volume for anti-SUVs becomes more and more. And as, yeah, we, we'll as we keep repeatedly saying, whenever someone who's angry about vehicles on the road starts screaming, all SUVs are considered the same.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But it would also, if that Astra estate and the likes of BMW with their 5 Series can make non-SUVs work as EVs, Mm. it maybe breathes a bit of uh, life into them again
0: as well. It does, but at some point we'll talk about why SUVs are taking over, really. Mm
1: -hmm. Right, I'm going to take us to points of interest and the lunchtime read. Yes. It comes from Matteo Licata, friend of the show, and he's in Haggerty. So congratulations, Matteo. Uh, he's in Haggerty here uh, with the title of how the Fiat X19 got, brackets, and kept, close brackets, its name. And this is a fascinating story. I had no idea. Mm, I had absolutely neither. no idea. But it's a brilliant, as ever, with Matteo and an Italian car and investigation and history. It's just a wonderful story.
0: Yeah, it's really good. I don't want to spoil anything. I want you to read it. You need no, to have it. A, have a- have a good read have a good read um because it certainly is
1: link as ever in the show notes do click through please
0: uh, this week's list of the week though is uh the weird weird world of forgotten car accessories and these are from way back in the dark ages so this is from the sort of 1950s 1960s possibly before and some of these stranger things uh, that there are now there are 49 here yes So we can both pick. We can both pick. So, Andrew, do you want to go first? I will go.
1: um, And there was many that nearly made it um, because some of them are absolutely nuts. I mean, there's the the chap where the advert is, don't forget, you can shave in the car with an electric razor. (laughs)
0: does there is uh it's absolutely crazy so it's it, that's not my choice though that wasn't my that's choice. Not your choice
1: no my choice is the imperial venetian blind for deluxi motoring. Deluxi. deluxe motoring deluxe deluxe i'm going to read the, i'm going to read the article here so uh, the advert says you turn the handle on the dashboard to raise the blind in the rear window slats still open um giving clear view to rear and full protection from the sun's rays. So they're slightly angled, but you can see through them. Continue turning to adjust the slats to any angle up to fully closed. Turn back to open slats, and then they drop all the way down and go down behind the the top of the back of the seat.
0: I'd almost quite like those in a car.
1: Well, I I think they look amazing. You know, I mean, there was was it the 70s where there was the cars that had the exterior jobbies? Well, here it uh-huh. is inside, and you don't have to worry about them getting dirty.
0: This is true. Uh, the other thing that that makes me think of is a Citroen DS quite often came with that mm. in the back window as well. That's the one that I always think of yeah. with that, as opposed to your Ford Anglia
1: or curtains if you're the Toyota. Curtains, Crown.
0: curtains if you curtains if you're Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So come on then. The one I've looked at here, here, the one I would choose, is the Barclay Caravanette, towed by any 7-horsepower car. Go trailer camping in the new Barclay Caravanette. The Caravanette lifts the trailer camper to a new level of completeness and comfort. Light alloy exterior, insulated interior with two large windows, deep-sprung double divan bed, detachable kitchen unit, finished in Barclay vellum grey. 99 pounds and 15 shillings. Fitted tents, making side and rear extensions are optional extras. Of special interest to many will be the truck body, easily interchangeable with the carabinet. 15 pounds. The thing is, this is one of these little teardrop camper vans. You see them? You see the little te- teardrop caravans uh, that are making a big comeback? Uh, over here, you can get, I, I was looking at one, an uh, off-road version of this. These are, this is one that is having its, it's, it's having a comeback. And it's not so much towed by any 7-horsepower car, it's towed by just any little car, or over here with big tyres on, anything off-roadable. And so I thought it was kind of cool that something so similar was making a comeback, Mm. despite my silly accent, silly voice.
1: There's quite a few, if you run through the full list, that uh, you can see the modern equivalents of. But there's one here for hubnut. This advert, again, this will be the last one I mention because there, there are 49 slides, so don't worry. We're not really giving everything away. We're not
0: reading out. We, we do try not to read out the list, but when the list is this long, we're still a very small percentage. Uh, tour with the Limpet car tent.
1: Designed for use on holidays, fates, picnics, and sporting activities for just £25 includes frames and fitting. And they show this on the back of a Morris Mine, a traveller, that's basically a tent over the back. If the... Hubnut clan don't want to take their pop-up caravan, and they just need something for I don't know the odd thing with the Citroen bilingo Here is the answer, and I know you can get these. Mo- you can get modern ones that are designed specifically for the bilingo from Germany.
0: Do you know behind my chair and slightly out of sight is a rear awning for the Lexus, <laughs> which <laughs> I haven't even tried yet. I haven't had a chance to plant it on any kind of ground where I could stick the pin in pins in and try it yet. Yes, I, I guilty.
1: Come on, Before we sit, sit there and read the whole fascinating list out, please do click on the link in the show notes. Let us know what you would pick uh, if, if it's not the same as us, which to be fair, there is many in there that I could have picked, but I didn't. So I'm going to take us to the and finally, and this is the news that the Aston Martin Bulldog has actually beaten the 200 mile an hour speed target that it was designed for uh, just last week in the hands of Darren Turner, thanks to the current owner who spent an awful lot of money and time. His his name is uh, Philip Seraphim. He's an American businessman. He asked uh, Richard Gauntlet, who is the son of the former Aston Martin owner, Victor Gauntlet, to manage the uh, restoration process. Took over 7,000 hours, 18 months, lots of time testing and tweaking the uh, the vehicle to get it to the point where it actually hit 176 uh in twenty twenty one. But then they continued to fettle with it. And like I say, last week it went through the two hundred mile an hour speed limit ended up at 205, I think it was two hundred and five point four, showing just what an amazing bit of engineering and vision.
0: Yes. That is really cool. So good. I I ultimately a totally pointless exercise other than done because it could be done and i think that that's fantastic i mean I l- i've always loved to look at the bulldog it's it's you know sir william towns it's it's uh, i want to i don't want to mention the cyber truck but it's what the cyber truck wishes it was yeah. um it's so cool it's got that fold down bit that reveals the four headlamps and towards the center of the car it's it's just brilliant um gullwing doors everything everything it's like a top trump of uh, 1979 yes. car design awesomeness and if there was I something think that, to encapsulate the 70s and i think that the fact that it has achieved what it was supposedly designed to do and i don't know that anybody ever believed it would have done it at the time is just great so well done to all involved a t- absolute round of applause great stuff yep. great stuff i think that brings us to the end uh this week doesn't it yes finally yep uh i know it's been a bit of a long one so folks, don't forget that between now and next week you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities. Remember you can support us financially via Patreon and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Best way to get in touch with me is if you search for Crack Windscreen on Mastodon or Twitter, you should find me there and Alan, if people would like to quiz you about why you haven't fitted your rear awning to your vehicle, what's the best way for them to do that personally?
0: Well again, uh Twitter or Mastodon Don, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-I-A-D-L-E-Y. Um and I'll probably tell you this because I haven't had time. Rather than anything else. Excuses. Uh we will be back very soon. <laughs> but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.